0: O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, for you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. My sister was two grades below me in school. Thus, I was always the perfect age to teach her how things are and provide that strong, big, brotherly guidance. I did this in a real way when Katie was entering middle school. As an eighth grader on the basketball team, I thought I had figured out the recipe for being cool. I was in a cool group of eighth graders. We hung out with the cool girls. And it seemed like life was made. After the grueling first two years of middle school, I thought I had finally arrived. When I look back at the pictures now, I'm not sure how my six-foot, two-inch, 130-pound beanpole glasses-wearing self thought I had arrived at the peak of popularity, but we tell ourselves things. I was worried about my sister, and I wanted to give her the cool tips that her big brother had figured out along the way. You see, she was coming into middle school with friends who weren't going to be on the popular list. In fact, some of them were guaranteed to get made fun of, They stuck out too much, were too eccentric, too individual. So I told Katie that day, spouting my big brotherly wisdom, some advice on who she might want to hang out with in middle school, on which types of friends to make. Looking back now, I'm horrified by how my advice sounded more like mean girls than caring older brother. I don't like what I said or that I said it. But I was giving her the straightest road to popularity. Ditch some of those old friends and find some new ones. Preferably friends with clothes from the right places and who don't stick out too much. That's the way to go. Position yourself so that you're high up on the food chain and the most people like you or at least know who you are. One of my great temptations in life is to care about what other people think about me way too much And boy, did that get amplified with the hormones of middle school. And if we all have some of our middle school selves within us, which if you've done any therapy or counseling work, you do, then a lot of us care too much about what other people think about us. In our story today, Jesus heads to Simon and Andrew's house in Capernaum. And Simon's mother-in-law has a fever, apparently a pretty bad one, So Jesus goes to this woman, takes her by the hand, and raises her up. The fever leaves her, and she begins to serve Jesus and the other disciples. Now, we're supposed to hear the words that Jesus rose her up and hear echoes of resurrection. Jesus will go throughout this gospel and raise people up. He will bring life out of dead places. This is the work of the kingdom of God. Then after the sun goes down and Sabbath is officially over, the crowd starts to gather at Simon and Andrew's house. And the village begins to bring to Jesus all who are sick and demon-possessed. Mark tells us that the whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus does hear what Jesus does. He heals and makes people whole. After the throwing out of the demon in the synagogue, the word had gotten around pretty quickly about Jesus. So Jesus does what Jesus does. Early in the morning, under the cover of darkness, Jesus escapes to a deserted place to pray. This is a pattern that we will see whenever the crowd is going to overtake or demand too much in Jesus' ministry. He escapes to somewhere secluded and prays. And Simon and the other disciples track Jesus down. They are on the hunt for Jesus And like his chief of staff or campaign managers, they want to seize this moment. They want to build the movement right here in Capernaum. Look at the following we've got here. And they tell him on no uncertain terms, everyone's looking for you. You're trending right now, Jesus. Imagine what could happen if we set up healing shows every day. People would line up overnight to come and see you they would spend more money in our local economy and everyone would be better off and you could have a nice headquarters and place to lay your head at night after the big show this is clearly what we need to do the plan is marked out for us and all we have to do is follow it i read a business story in this past week in entrepreneur magazine that i found highly interesting In 2003, Steve Jobs, the late co-founder and CEO of Apple, invited some industry leaders over for a takeout sushi lunch. This group included Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos. In this meeting, Jobs was showing off Apple's first ever Windows application that was about to launch, iTunes. Before this launch, the only people who could purchase music and put it on their iPod were owners of Apple computers. You'll remember this time, less than 20 years ago. The iPod was brand new, and it was revolutionary to be able to legally purchase songs for 99 cents apiece. During this meeting, Steve Jobs was taunting Jeff Bezos as he talked about the end of CDs. He told Bezos that Amazon could become a purveyor of these relics called CDs, and he truly wanted Amazon and other companies to get in and compete with Apple's product in digital music. At this point, Amazon had two options, as the author described it. Option one, they could put a lot of energy and resources into a copycat design of Apple's music delivery system. This would require licensing of all the music, developing a player for it like the iPod. And to this point, Amazon was only an online retail store. They did nothing else. Or option two, they could innovate and go a completely different direction and recreate another industry. The author of this story that I read was telling the origin story of Amazon's Kindle. Instead of venturing into online music, Amazon determined to reinvent the book itself. They were so committed to this mission, they were willing to invest enormous amounts of money and people into it. This was also during a time when Amazon was not yet a very profitable company. Had the disciples in this story today worked for Amazon, they would have tried to compete with Apple and sell digital music. They would have developed a lesser product that would not have worked. They would have wanted Jesus to set up camp in Capernaum and have it become a new spiritual center, ignoring the call to spread the good news and go fish for people. Instead, they wanted the fish to come to them. So when the disciples tell Jesus, everyone's looking for you, they expect Jesus to come back quickly into Capernaum and do what he's expected to do. And instead, Jesus says, let's head in the other direction. I thought this would be the focus of my entire sermon. Let's head in the other direction. Jesus is someone for the people-pleasers like me to try and emulate. Jesus simply didn't care what people thought of him, and neither should we. Amen? I think that's too simple. You see, Jesus was so committed to his mission that he heads in the other direction to the nearby villages to preach in those places as well. He realizes that his mission is a movement. It is not a stagnant entity building up another religious center. Instead, Jesus is committed to going directly to people in their pain. They don't have to find him. He will find them. The disciples' purpose and mission was like my middle school self. They had found the easy way. Their guy was popular now. People were flocking. Did you see how many were at the house last night? I wonder how many will come today. We're going to be stars. All the people we grew up with will be envious of us. I believe that the humanity of Jesus was allured by this temptation. And every single time that the crowd wants to give Jesus earthly honors or adulation, we see Jesus get away and go pray. I imagine that when Jesus gets away to pray, he is centering himself once again on the mission. And this mission has nothing to do with popularity and size. It has everything to do with faithfulness and revealing God's kingdom to the world. It's about seeking the marginalized and the outcast and welcoming them into God's way. It's about teaching people that the way of God is not about rule-following, but it's about love. So this movement that Jesus is bringing his disciples on had to remain in motion. Jesus thought way outside of the expectations that people had for him. Even those disciples. Maybe especially the disciples, Rather than being keepers of this mission, at many points the disciples are unintentionally tempting Jesus like the devil did in the wilderness. They are tempting him to power, to fame, and to the easy way. And we know that the way of Jesus refuses the easy way. This is why the word discipline is connected to the word disciple. It takes discipline to be a disciple. We cannot just always do the easy thing. So it's not that Jesus didn't care about what the disciples are saying. Everyone is looking for him, especially the disciples. It's not that Jesus was just unfazed by the potential criticism. Jesus was so committed to his mission of spreading good news all around that he was not lured by the popular and easy way. Then, and only then, does he not care about what people think. I'm happy to say that my sister didn't listen to a word that I said in that conversation. She realized that even though I was older, that I was caught in a trap that was not good for me. The trap of caring way too much about what other people think, even if that means treating other people as disposable. My sister headed in the other direction. She kept those friends and formed deeper bonds with them and ways that helped carry her through her teenage years. She stuck by those friends with the loyalty and steadfastness that God sticks with us. And she had fun, caring less about what other people thought about her. Oh, that we might follow Jesus in the other direction, even when the easy way and allure of quick success tempts us away from his mission. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us respond with the words of our faith that we find in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. Let us now pray for the church and for the world. Grant, almighty God, that all who confess your name may be united in your truth. Live together in your love and reveal your glory in the world. We pray especially, Lord, for the witness of your church, for Christians in both our country and around the globe of all denominations. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. Guide the people of this land and of all the nations, in the ways of justice and peace. That we may honor one another, and serve the common good. Lord, we pray for all of our leaders and elected officials, as local as our local school boards, to our state level, and our governor and General Assembly, and even to the nation and world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Give us all a reverence for the earth as your own creation, that we may use its resources rightly in the service of others and to your honor and glory. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Bless all whose lives are closely linked with ours, and grant that we may serve Christ in them, and love one another as Christ loves us. Especially, Lord, we pray for families who are apart, with physical distance during this season, who haven't seen one another for very long periods of time. God, also we pray for families who find themselves estranged from one another, and in relationships that are tattered and torn. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Comfort and heal all those who suffer in body, mind, or spirit. Give them courage and hope in their troubles and bring them the joy of your salvation. Lord, we pray right now for all who are stinging with the pain of isolation. Lord, who are missing times when they could gather with friends or just feel like they are alone right now. We pray your Holy Spirit would be with them, and God, we pray that this time of isolation would come to an end soon. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer.